Man. <clears throat> Let's pray together. God, there may be weeks when COVID gets the best of us, either physically or emotionally, but there are moments like this morning where we are reminded Jesus wins, the battle is won, that you are on the move. And I ask today, God, if I speak words that are true, that honor your heart, your mission, your character, that they will sink deep into hearts and to bear great fruit. But if I speak anything that doesn't honor who you are, that those words will fall to the ground and be trampled and not be remembered at all. <clears throat> and I ask today that through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus will be formed in the hearts, in our hearts, through the words of my preaching. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. It's great to see your faces today. For all of you on, joining us online, uh, thank you for, for joining us. Um, whether you are a longtime member, whether you know much about Sycamore View, or maybe a first-time guest, we welcome you. Uh, it's a great honor to be able to be in the water baptizing Noah today. I remember one time, uh, this was a while back, I, we baptized someone right before a sermon, and this was back when I would wear waders to baptize people. I put them on, I got in the water to baptize someone, and the moment I did, I felt a leak coming down the left side of my body, and I had the pants on that I had to come out of the water and preach in. So I stood up here on stage with one leg that looked like I had gone on myself with a, a sock and a shoe on, which wasn't as bad as the time I was sitting over to my right, and I uh, dropped the communion, the, the cup, in my lap one day. I was wearing light khaki, so I stood up, and I remember I said, today I literally preach covered in the blood of Jesus. So I'm glad that didn't happen to me today, but uh, we've been looking forward to this day. It's been a long journey, and I like calling it that, a journey. Not just a moment, not just a one-time event in the life of Noah, but a journey that we've been on with him. And this is the way Casey and I have talked to Noah about baptism, and this is the way I talk about baptism from this stage. And whether I'm with some of you sitting at a Starbucks, on a back, back patio, wherever we may be, talking about what it means to follow Jesus. The way I talk about baptism and what it means to follow Jesus is that this is not... This is not some life insurance plan or some safety net to catch us in the end. This is a life that we've been invited into. This is not just a get out of hell free card, something that, in which you don't want to go to hell. This is a decision that you make that you want to thrive with Jesus for the rest of your life. So this morning, what I want to talk to you about, and I invite you in your Bibles to open up both to Psalm 115 and also to Romans chapter 6. So you may want to put a marker or maybe hold a finger in Psalm 115 and Romans chapter 6. And I just want to talk today about how life, life with God is about saying yes and saying no every day of our lives. Not just once, not just a yes to baptism once, every day there are yeses and there are noes. Yeses that we are making to God. Yeses we're making about our faith. And no to the things that are keeping us from living the kind of life God wants us to live. There are yeses and there are noes. Archaeologists about 100 years ago, they came across in Syria, they came across what many believe to be the oldest church. We're talking about a church that's around 1,800 years ago or something like that. And they came across this church, and in the middle of the church was a, a, a bathing pool. It was a baptismal pool. And if you've seen any of these from ancient history, they're, they're pretty large. And, and around this baptismal pool were some artistic designs. There were a few scenes around it, and they were able to make out what they were. There was one scene where there's a shepherd carrying a lamb. Carrying a lamb. There's a scene of a woman at a well. 
there's one scene that depicted two men walking on water while their friends sat in a boat and watched. There was one scene of three women who were approaching a tomb. And there's this scene all around this baptistry where these scenes depicting the life of faith and the life of following God. And it And around 1,800 years ago, there are stories of baptisms that would often go like this. In your baptism, there was both an acknowledgement of the confession that you are making as you affirm your faith in Jesus, but there was also a renunciation that was happening, something you were renouncing. So in baptism, there was a yes to Jesus, and there was a no to the things that are going to keep you from God. A lot of times people were asked today, do you renounce the deeds of Satan and all of his angels and all of his works? And you were asked to say, I do. Do you, do you uh, agree today? Do you want to be united with Christ for the rest of your life? And, and from that will come, I do. There was an acknowledgement of saying yes to Jesus. And there was a moment of acknowledging that evil and death are real. And evil, and evil and death are powerful. But in baptism, we remember, evil and death in this world may be powerful, but they don't get the last word. They're not going to win. Evil and death may have its way with us a little bit, but it's not going to win. Evil and death, when it is confronted with the power of the movement of God, it loses every time. We're also reminded Satan is powerful. Satan, the devil, the enemy, all of his friends, whatever you want to call the powers of darkness, they are powerful, but they have nothing when it comes to standing up against the blood of Jesus. So here's what Satan wants to do. Satan wants to try to remind us the rest of our lives. He wants, to try to, 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 uh, he wants to try to get us to forget our God-given identity. He wants us to try to forget that in baptism there is a renaming of who we are. He wants us to forget that we are beloved children of God. He wants us to doubt all of these things. There's nothing he can do to stop the blood of Jesus from doing what the blood of Jesus d- does. So he wants to help us forget. Just for a few days, just forget. Forget your confession. Don't take it seriously. And most people I'm with who have strayed from faith and straight from God, they can point back to a time in their life where they didn't take yeses to God seriously or they didn't take the no's to the things that keep them from God seriously. Because in life with God, it's not just about saying yes to God day after day after day. It's also about saying no to the things that keep us from God. And it's not just saying no to the things that keep us from God. It's also saying yes to what it means to live for God. Celebrate Recovery meets here on Tuesday nights, and if you've ever been to Celebrate Recovery, whoever has a public role in the service will stand up at a mic, and they will they, they'll introduce themselves in a way where they'll say something like, I am Josh Ross, and they don't begin with their habit, their hang-up, their addiction, so it's not, I'm Josh Ross, and I'm an alcoholic, or I'm a Josh Ross, and I, I've uh, declared bankruptcy, or I'm codependent, it's, they begin with who you are in God. I am Josh Ross, and I'm a beloved child of God. And I struggle with whatever. It doesn't begin with what keeps you from God. It begins with who you are with God. And from that, you're able to talk about whatever it is that keeps you from God. There's one author who says the first step in becoming a Christian is renunciation. It's acknowledging that you are a beloved child of God and then saying no to anything that gets in the way. 
So we're in a series right now, a four-week series, all four Sundays in July, in which I'm talking about failing gods. I want to, it's four weeks talking about idolatry, because I think for most of us, we know over the last few months, there have been things that we have trusted in for security, for love, whatever it may be, that have let us down. Like they, we may have thought they were eternal, we may have thought they would bring the fulfillment we wanted them to bring, but they, they ultimately let us down, and they're temporary. So I just want to talk about it, not in a way where I'm, I'm, I'm whipping people about having idols in your life, but where we acknowledge it in the presence of a loving, merciful God who wants to help us do something about it. So here's the way Psalm 115 goes, and you heard this a minute ago, and I just want to place this kind of as a three-part move and maybe give you a prayer exercise in your life this week that can draw you closer to God. And here's how Psalm 115 goes. In the first two verses, it says this, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? So right here, this is one of those Psalms where I think the people of God are in a season of uncertainty. Like they have a story in the past of a God who delivered the people from Egypt and a God who would perform miracles, but I think they were in a dry spot right here. And everyone else around them is noticing this. So people around them are saying, hey, you have those stories from your past, but what is your God doing now? Like you're in this season of uncertainty now and it doesn't seem like God is doing anything. So there's this taunting that is coming at them. Like, hey, you have these stories of faithfulness, but what now? Where is God now? And this whole psalm is about, hey, here's the deal. Even when you're in a season of uncertainty, you don't change your confession. Even in a season of uncertainty, you don't cling to things that are temporary, but things that are eternal. Don't allow your faith to become a faith that says, God, I will be faithful to you if, but let your faith be a faith that always says, I will be faithful to you still, no matter what. Not conditional, no matter what. And then it goes into this, three through eight. Our God is in heaven. God does whatever pleases him, but their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. It's a way of saying, hey, idols may bring you a little fulfillment for a short period of time, but they're not going to satisfy they're not going to eternally fulfill. They don't, you will not find security in them at all. And then the psalm goes to this, 9 through 11. All you Israelites trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. Houses of Aaron trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. It's this three-part move, and I encourage you to take this into your prayer time this week, where you acknowledge uncertainty in your life, and then you name anything it is in your life that you need to say no to. Anything that is setting itself up in your heart or your mind is something that you were placing your ultimate trust in or maybe trust in that you should be placing in God instead of something else. This could be money. It could be resources. It could be a person. It could be an emotion. Whatever it is, name it for what it is and then acknowledge that God, even through the uncertainty, even through the things vying for attention and allegiance in my life, I'm going to trust in you no matter what. God, help me to trust in you. And the way the psalm goes is it's personal, it's communal, it's, hey, you trust in the Lord, let your family trust in the Lord, let the church trust in the Lord, let the world trust in the Lord, like everybody trust in the Lord. God is the one who is our help, our shield, our protector, our defender. It's a psalm that declares that all these other gods that we put our trust in, 
they, they don't live forever. They don't breathe. They don't move. They aren't creative. They're not going to redeem you. But we have a living God who will. If you went to BibleGateway.com and you place in there living God, you're going to have dozens of references in the Old Testament and New Testament about the living God. Because the Bible wants you to know over and over again, we don't serve a God who is only alive in history. We don't serve a God who one day is going to come back. We serve a God who is in the now. A God who has said throughout the Bible, I am the great I am. Not I am the, I am the one who used to be or I'm the one who will be again in the future. The, the God who still is the great I am. Jesus came talking about I am the resurrection and the life. There is something that God is doing now that God right now is not on God's last rope. God is not out of energy. God is not lacking creativity. God is on the move. In Romans chapter 6, which is a place we often go to. In fact, we had Noah read this recently about what it means to be baptized. And here it is in its context. This is Paul writing to a church. And in a way, Paul writing to a church, telling them there are things you have said no to and things you have said yes to. And this should make a difference the way you live your life every day of your life. And it goes like this. Romans 6 verse 3. Or don't you know? That all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And for the reading of the word, those who are here and those on live stream say, amen. amen. We say amen. It's one of those stories that sometimes this is something we read when people want to be baptized or know more about baptism. But in Romans 6, Paul isn't just writing this to people who want to be baptized. Paul is writing to a church of baptized people. So Romans 6 isn't just an argument about baptism, though we can use it like that. Romans 6 is writing to a bunch of baptized people trying to remind them to live as if they've been baptized. Because you have died with Christ and because you are, have come to life in Christ, live like you're alive in Christ. The rest of Romans 6 is about living this, righteousness, this righteous life before God. So because we have entered into this moment with God of surrendering our life to Jesus and coming alive in Jesus, this is the kind of life you are called to live for the rest of your life. This is it. Live the baptized life. Committed to God and acknowledging every day of your life that there is a confession of Jesus. I'm saying yes to Jesus today. I'm saying yes to Jesus and here's why. And I'm saying no to anything that keeps me from that. They're daily yeses and they're daily no's. You wanna, if you want to know if there's an idol in your life, one of the best things to do is for you to pause with God to actually take inventory of your heart and your mind. This is hard. So my family, we've lived in three different houses over the last 10 years in Binghampton. We rented one for a year. Then we, the first house we bought, we bought for $50,000. It was built in 1912. 
It was about a 900 square foot, 850 square foot house. And after living there for a short period of time, we realized we were not the only people living in this house. I guess we were the only people. We weren't the only living things. We discovered there were squirrels in our attic. This has happened to some of you too. But what do you do when you have squirrels in the attic? And there are people that are like, you need to get up in the attic and assess, like, how are the squirrels getting in and out? And have they had babies? And we knew one of the places they would stay in our attic was right above our bedroom because every morning the squirrels would eat breakfast at 4 a.m. right above us. And they didn't eat with their mouths closed, right? This is when I realized I do think dogs are going to be in heaven. I have my doubts about cats. And I'm very sure there will be no squirrels that will be there, right? So we were living in this house that the only access to the attic was in the kitchen. There was a little square tile and you had to move that and you had to have a ladder to like climb up in there. There was no light up in the attic. It wasn't a place where you would store anything. So we set up the ladder, we moved the tile and that's when I handed the flashlight to Casey and patted her on the back and wished her good luck, right? In which Casey handed the flashlight back to me and said, get up there. I'm a city boy. I don't like this kind of stuff. So I remember climbing up in the attic And I'm trying to balance on a beam, holding a flashlight in my mouth, trying to see where the squirrels are coming in and where they're coming out and are they alive. And I remember just quoting to myself, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It makes me lie down in green pastures. And thankfully, we were able to find the squirrels, get rid of the squirrels. Um, But I wonder how many of us have like this attic in our heart. And the fear and the concern of wanting to open it up to see what is there keeps us sometimes from taking inventory. Sometimes we would rather not know some of the bad things that have grown inside of our hearts and minds because we know the difficult journey it may take to get rid of them. But when God opens our eyes to see that there is a loving, gracious, merciful God who delights when his children come and say, okay, God, there's some things in me that I need you to help me deal with. God embraces it, opens his arms for the challenge. Take inventory. Okay, God, where are there some things that have grown inside of me that just don't need to be there? And we acknowledge them. We name them for what they are. Tim Keller says that our hearts are idol factories, where our hearts just like produce these idols in our lives that will never eternally satisfy And one of the ways the enemy wants to work is we're trying to keep our eyes focused on Jesus and I think a tactic of the enemy is Satan knows he, he probably is not going to have a shot of just turning us like 180 degrees overnight, but can he shift us just a little bit where our attention goes from here to just move it just a little bit to the right or left. And you've been in a car before where you're driving down the road and something grabs your attention on the sidewalk and you look over there and before you know it, your car begins to move and, you, you, and, you're, and you're crossing a lane or somebody's honking at you because you're not staying in a straight line and the enemy wants to shift us just a little bit because to shift us just a little bit, we'll begin reaching for things and taking hold of things that will never, will never satisfy. Martin Luther said years ago, the great reformer, He said whenever he would slip into dark places, he would say this to himself, Martin, be calm. You were baptized. Like Martin, be calm. Remember, you've been baptized, which means you live a life of saying yes to Jesus and no to everything that keeps you from him. To know that there is a God who is on the move, 
a God who is after you. And he's after you as a God who is living and energetic and creative and eager to redeem. Back in 1966, there was a, the Times Magazine came out with a cover that like swept the country. Some of you were alive in 1966. You may remember this. On the front of Times Magazine was, Is God Dead? This was the first time in the history of Times Magazine that there was only written type on the front cover. There was no image. It was just, is God dead? That was it. And you could imagine how for the next week or weeks or next couple of months, there were pastors and ministers and priests all over the nation who were preaching sermons in response to this, that within just a few days, they had 3,500 people write letters to the Times Magazine, to the editors, uh, renouncing this piece. But other people were taking hold of it. And this wasn't an article that was written out of nowhere. It was building off an argument Frederick Nietzsche had made years before. And there was actually a movement of, is God dead? Now, some people think this was metaphorical, that it wasn't really saying God's dead. It's just that, uh, that it was an indictment on the church. It was an indictment on faith and culture. Now, remember, this was the 60s. So the person who wrote this was fully aware of so many evils happening throughout the world. You had evil communism. You had the Vietnam War that was happening. And then right here in the United States, you were almost right in the middle of a civil rights movement where it seemed like the church a lot of times was silent or wasn't on the forefront or the the front lines of some of these efforts. So in some ways, this article was an indictment against the church saying not that God is dead or a disbelief like God has never been alive, but God has been alive and God has existed, but the people representing him aren't representing him as if there is this living God. I'm not justifying this article. trying to give just a little context to it. So in 1966, there was also a guy named A.W. Dicus. Now, Dicus was born in 1888. And at the age of 20, he surrendered his life to Jesus in baptism. He was about to get married, had a fiance. She led him to the Lord. And in his baptism, at his baptism, he, made, he offered this prayer to God. And his prayer was, God, if you help me get an education in my life, help me go to college, I will serve you for the rest of my life. And God helped him get into college. And for the rest of his life, he served the Lord. And he served God in a lot of different ways. He, was, he would preach and teach on weekends at a lot of different churches. He, would, uh, he was the president of a couple of different schools. He was also a scientist. He was super creative. He invented stuff. So in 1920, he invented and secured a patent for the first ever automobile turn signal. This was 100 years ago. And for those of you who don't know, especially you Memphis drivers, there's, you have your steering wheel. And next to the steering wheel is this little thing. And if you push it down, it'll let people know that you may want to turn left or get in the left-hand lane. If you push it up or lift it up, then it'll let people know you may want to get in the right-hand lane. We should all try it sometime, all right? <clears throat> He also invented the electric pencil sharpener. He invented this, uh, uh, the skill saw. I mean, this dude was a genius. He was an author, and later in his life, he became a songwriter. And in 1966, the same year, the Times Magazine released this article about Is God Dead? He wrote a song that our God is alive. And for those of us in Churches of Christ, and some of you may not have been in Churches of Christ much in your life, this has been like the Church of Christ anthem. What was the number for, in, your, in your song books? What was this number for you? <laughs> 728? 
That was Kip. That's Kip right there. You see it. This was Kip at a <laughs> Halloween last year. 728B. Like, is this Church of Christ joke? Like, why did we ever put a B on a song number? But it meant something to us. And it was in 1966 that this song was written. The same year, there's this article in Moving about, Is God Dead? It was this reminder that, man, we, we serve a God who's on the move. God who is fully alive. A God who is not through working. And it's going to be a song that we're going to sing right now as an anthem, as a declaration. For those of you who are present with us in person, we have an elder who's right outside of this room, in room 100, who will be there to receive you for prayer or anything else you need some of our leaders or prayer leaders for. For those of you online right now, we have a connect card, and if there's a prayer we can pray, if you are thinking about being baptized in your life, or if there's any way we can help you in life or, or on your faith journey, will you just fill that out and respond to us in some way? We would love to come alongside and help you. Can we stand together? And let's sing this song as a declaration of our faith. That this week, this day, their yeses we need to say to God. Their noes we need to say to everything that keeps us from God. And let's sing as if our God is alive and active.